Today, I'll be talking with Laura from Baltimore, Maryland. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Let's talk. Hey, Grant. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's great uh, great to have you. I'm sure we're going to have an interesting conversation. Um, looking forward to it. Um, we'll just jump right into it. When the virus first hit, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, so at first I wasn't quite sure how to interpret it. I mean, we saw the news unfold in between January and February of what was going on in China. And so, you know, I think a lot of people like myself are wondering, you know, is this going to be similar to what happened with SARS back in the early 2000s? And then as it made its way to the United States, you know, everybody's perspective just changed and it got very much more serious. And so I kind of had an a feeling about when we were going to go under lockdown. And I had a, a business lunch uh, right before the lockdown occurred. And, you know, even then I was kind of wondering, I was like, oh, you know, could it be here now? You know, is it in Maryland? And um, I decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead. And I went ahead and had that lunch. And then that Friday, we started the lockdown on March Friday the 13th. And then essentially, uh, you know, because I'm in healthcare, you know, and a lot of my peers are also in healthcare, we take a much more serious stance about something like this. And so a lot of people I know, uh, including myself, went to working from home. Uh, we took a lot of precautions uh, going out physically. Uh, you know, looking at ordering more, you know, for deliveries um, with large businesses or for food or even groceries. And I'll just tell you, um, I was very concerned. Um, I have uh, mild asymptomatic sleep apnea. And so when they were coming out with the list and the data around the cases and what would be high risk and what was not, I was so hungry for that information because I just wanted to make sure that my condition was not on that list. And so when we locked down and everybody went right. remote, I was very pleased you know, with that part. But again, I still had that anxiety because if you're not sleeping well, you know, that's one of the main um, factors of good health is being able to sleep fully through the night and having a full rested sleep. And, um, you know, just based on that, it, it, it impacts the immune system and other factors. So I was concerned for the longest time. And then the, the data just kept coming out and I didn't see that condition listed. And I just kept seeing the data come out and come out. And, you know, over time, I gained confidence and, um, you know, felt better about it over time. But at first I was really concerned and, um, you know, really concerned for myself and my family. You know, I thought about, do I need to take extra precautions at this time? Uh, one of the things I will tell you is, is we literally almost did not leave the house for three months. Um, we were very strict. In fact, we were ordering groceries and, right. you know, if people came and delivered it to the house, they wore masks. I mean, because uh, frankly, we just didn't know a lot and, and we're mm. essentially you know, as it's impacting the different states and it's hitting the states and different countries, you know, we're just collecting data on everything that's happening. So we don't really know how serious it was. And so I felt that over a course of time, 
as we see the metrics develop and as we're collecting the data, we're going to see how serious that pandemic is. And I think one of the major points in media at that point in time in March and April was seeing how bad Italy was hit. I mean, Italy was hit pretty bad. And so they went on a very, yeah. yeah, And I think you remember this in the media. I mean, we were kind of watching them a lot, right? Because it went from uh, China to Europe. I mean, that's, that's the way people will probably remember. and We'll see the way it was covered in the news. So our attention was on idiot was on Italy and they went on a very strict lockdown, even more so than uh, what you've seen here in the United States. And so I think that really influenced how people reacted to it. Well, I know, um, like for us, it was, it was when you guys got it, that, that we sort of, that, that was a trigger for us that, that, okay, this is really, you know, a problem that's getting close. Um, like I'm in Canada, you know, central Canada. So I'm, I'm just above, um, North Dakota and, uh, yeah. So like, like, w- you know, we, we were watching on the news that it hit Wuhan and then right. Like, uh, you know, uh, Italy. And then when they shut down, you know, half of Italy, it was like, okay, this is getting pretty serious, but it was when it hit, you know, it started hitting the West coast in that. I, I can't remember where, but then when it hit New York, it was like, okay. And then, yeah, we got shut down like mid March too. And, and I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't to the degree that, that it happened in Italy either, but I mean, like, you know, most of our stores, you know, other than groceries and, and, you know, um, drug stores and stuff and, you know, restaurants were all shut down and, and lots of the, you know, they closed the schools and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, we, you know, it, it, it was something we had never experienced as, as nobody had. So it, it was new to everybody. And, and in the beginning, um, like like you said, you were trying to figure out, you know, what symptoms um, and, and and those sorts of things. But we found that this thing just kept changing. You know, the information kept changing. Um, you know, uh, you know they would, you know, know this, you know, one thing, and then a month later, it's okay. No, it's the you know. So it it just seemed to evolve so much that it was really hard to almost keep track of of you know what was what was going on. Yeah, I would certainly agree with you. When it first kind of hit our part of the world, the data was just coming out and the reporters were hungry for the data. I mean, obviously we're locked, we're kind of quarantining in our homes. We're watching a lot more news. We're reading a lot more media. So anytime something new happened, people wanted to report it. And uh, there, there, there is and was a lot of conflicting information. But I think what we've seen over a course of time now is that it impacts a higher, a higher at-risk population. So if you're very low on vitamin D, if you're uh, elderly, if you have a comorbidity, you know, like certain health conditions, you know, having to do with weight and uh, maybe heart disease and then lung conditions, you know, it, it trended towards those being higher risk populations for catching COVID and for having complications. Um, So I think we have enough data now. We can start seeing that there's trends and we can start seeing that the information will be more consistent now as opposed to when it was coming out then. And I think a lot of people, um, uh, 
even then were so overwhelmed with the information, even though some of it was helpful. I think some of it was so overwhelming and so panicked at the time that even now, you know, those same thoughts, those same fears are still kind of gripping uh, many parts of the nation. And so now the vaccines become really important where people want that uh, safety measure. They feel that they have a little bit of extra help. And so, you know, a lot of folks now are kind of lining up um, from the higher need populations first and also um, those that, you know, they're trying to make the vaccines more equitably uh, available to those that might be at higher risk. So those are um, kind of first in line. And then, you know, each of the states in the United States are kind of working through their own prioritization list. So even that becomes complicated and uh, convoluted. And then the other piece is a stimulate the stimulus package, which does include money for vaccines and for other health safety measures. And that hasn't passed yet. So there's a lot of delays. There's a lot of um, confusion still. Uh, the states, you know, all of the United States kind of have their own flavor on what lockdown means. Um, even, even down to the city, you know, like Baltimore City um, at one point closed all of their restaurants down in January. And, and Baltimore is a small city. They only have 600,000. And, and back in the 50s, it used to be, I would say in the 30s, 40s, 50s, it used to be major manufacturing. It had a very healthy uh, nightlife, uh, very well known for jazz music. And then eventually, you know, that industry, those industries left. So what's left? Tourism. And tourism took a major hit this past year. And then when you close down the local restaurants, mm -hmm. then um, that's pretty much all Baltimore has left is the restaurants and then tourism. Uh, there's not much else going on there. So um, the economic impacts um, could be felt too. So uh, they, re they recently reopened uh, back up. Um, and now the focus, I think a lot of uh, states and, and people are, are looking towards us, the vaccines because, you know, the extra safety measure and the prevention uh, that a vaccine can provide. So did you find, uh, especially early on, um, when New York was really um, the hot spot at the beginning, because uh, you're, uh, you know, like I'm looking on a map here, you're really not that far from New York, relatively speaking. So was there a fear that, you know, it's going to, it's going to start coming down from New York and we're going to end up getting the same sort of trouble that they had? Was there any fear of that at all? No, that's a great question though. I think though, I, the concern I had, you know, if we have to look back in time to March, April, May, you know, the, the, the concern I had was, you know, 95, I-95 is a major hub going up and down the East Coast. So you can't really control that traffic. And then you also have the shipping. Um, uh, maybe maybe the freight industry or the shipping or kind of like the delivery, the deliveries, you know, the, the, the trucks that go up and down the coast too, and the fact that they have to go in and out of cities. Um, you know, here in Maryland, yeah. you got to think about it. Uh, you know, Baltimore is probably two and a half to three hours away from New York. We're about an hour and some change away from Wilmington, an hour and some change away from Philadelphia, and then an hour and some change away from DC. So there were certainly is that concern. Now, um, 
when you look at uh, each of the states, though, um, each, you know, kind of locked down in different ways. And Maryland was um, less conservative than some of the other states, although more conservative than some of the other states that kind of stayed open, like Florida, I know, was very, um, I would say, liberal in their restrictions. I would say Maryland was kind of on the moderate line. And um, Governor Hogan actually, uh, he took the, the nursing home uh, situation very seriously because that's a very hard industry to regulate in the United States. You have a lot of uh, companies that run it, run uh, different um, homes in different states. There's not a lot of, um, there's uh, guidelines around how to run them and keep them clean, but you know, they, they haven't really dealt with a pandemic before. So, you know, how do you isolate the residents? How do you clean the rooms? Um, you know, in a hospital, you have a different kind of setting that, you know, if you have a pandemic, you know, there's a certain pr- emergency protocol. There's certain protocols that people will go through. I think in nursing homes, um, you know, the, the re- there, it's not as strict or as stringent as a hospital, but the pandemic in a way has... Um, now introduced this that situation where they're going to have to have these protocols in the future because uh, we're we're definitely a global you know uh, people are traveling and flying you know people love uh, to fly to different countries and you know as we open up back more um, and you know visitation opens up and loosens up you know we're, we're going to have these stricter measures that stay in place you know especially in the nursing homes where they might have you in an appointment type of setting. They might, you know, do temperature checks. They might ask that you take a test. Uh, I don't know what's happening particularly in that industry, but we can imagine that as we move forward and we're opening back up, we're going to have safety measures and safety protocols that trigger certain events to make sure that we keep these type of um, outbreaks at a minimum or uh, near 0% as close as possible in future uh, situations. Um, so, you know, going back to your question, I mean, I was concerned about New York, but I was more concerned about the fact that, you know, we're kind of like a major hub on the East Coast, and I-95 as a highway, high volume traffic, eight lanes, you know, when you're in Maryland, um, you know, a lot of people stop, in between New York and DC. And um, I think that kind of traffic was more concerning than necessarily New York itself being a threat. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it looks like a a pretty busy place. Um, Like you're right smack dab in the middle of a lot of major cities. So I'm sure you get stuff going straight through all the time. Well, that's true too. And you can also think of it as, you know, if you had to go from New York down to Virginia, which covers all of those cities I mentioned, it's about four hour shot. So you're going to have people that just try and gun it through those full four hours and then they'll, then they'll stop. Um, so I think, you know, when I've seen the trends, you know, if restaurants close down and, and, you know, people are taking certain safety protocols and measures, um, you know, and you look at the rates of transmission um, across, uh, I guess, different industries and vectors, you know, I think 
a lot of folks transmit it from people to people to people that they knew because uh, you can't really right. you can't really regulate people getting together, right? That that's kind of hard. You can limit exposure that way uh, in public settings and in, in commercial industries where you provide um, mandates and protocols and rules about spacing and all that. But um, you know, people were still getting together in private, and so transmission certainly occurred that way. Um, and then even even the states uh, have different protocols in terms of, you know, having their, their children uh, go to school or not go to school. A lot of private schools uh, remained open. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have a question on that? Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm just like, yeah, each state mandates their own um, guidelines and it's the same here in Canada, you know, as far as the provinces, they, you know, each province um, sets the guidelines for the province. So it's not a national um, sort of rule or anything. Um, it's all based on on whatever the provinces decide to do. And, uh, you know, much like, you know, where you are down there, we have differences from province to province as well. So some seems to do, you know, some provinces seem to do better than others. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it changes from one province to the next, just like it would you know, from one state to the next where you are. Yeah. And so I think that to me was concerning is that there's such an inconsistency with regulations and mandates and percentages of being open, percentages of being closed. Because if there's no consistency in what's being done, then it's going to be hard to um, control. Um, The other thing, though, is if we can get really super organized, then you can control through clusters better. And so um, China did a lot more of that. They went on a very strict lockdown in the beginning, like very strict, right? They wanted to really squash the numbers. Mm. And then after they opened back up, then they did more of like cluster control um, where they would impact the area that was um, experiencing a high rate, you know, so then they would do testing, maybe certain current areas were quarantined, certain uh, shops would close, stuff like that. Um, So, you know, when we first got hit, we had that chance to do a very strict lockdown to really kind of control the spread, but we didn't, you know, each state had to come up with their own plan and then do what they do what they thought was right, um, you know. So New York, despite the high numbers, was on a very strict lockdown. Um, and then some of the other states were. California was a very strict lockdown, but their numbers uh, just really went up high. Um, you know, Maryland, in my opinion, was much more moderate, and um, even our county where I live. So getting even further down into where I live was much more open than certain areas. I don't, you know, when it first happened, um, you know, everybody pretty much closed up. I mean, we were closed for a long time, but then after a while, things kind of started to open up in the summer, you know, outside seating was available. So, um, you know, I did go out a couple of times, but it's, you know, it's like my daughter and I, and we all sat outside, you know, we were, socially distancing. Um, You know, we were very careful with hand sanitizer and washing our hands, 
wearing our masks, if we stand up and walk around. Um, but, you know, we, we were super strict the, the first three months. And then, you know, after that, I just think it kind of hit me. I was like, I just need to get out. And so, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, it was a treat, right? Um, they didn't allow a lot of people in. I think people were pretty solemn and still very concerned. And even I was too, but, you know, it was kind of nice to, to get out and to see people and to kind of interact uh, with the environment in a different way. Um, and, you know, uh, my daughter and I would do stuff together a lot. So going out in nature, it's easy. Um, it's easy to, I think, experience something like this when you have the access to nature, you know, walking and being outside. And, and despite if it's cold, you know, going outside and having fresh air and kind of that variety of being outside, I think, helps um, in terms of a, a situation like this. Yeah, I mean, I, it- like our first lockdown wasn't, it, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as our our second lockdown um, in the second wave. Like we, we had a really tight lockdown that started in November. Um, but with the first lockdown and then through the summer, things were really good here because even though we still, you know, we had the mask mandates, a lot of stuff was still closed, but um you know, we could still get out and, and social distance and, and still, you know, spend time with, with our kids and stuff and, and, you know, uh, at least see them, you know, go for a walk, you know, 10 feet from each other sort of thing, or, you know, go to a park where you're sitting at a, you know, uh, picnic table on each end or whatever. But anyway, we were able to at least do that. Um, but you know, when winter came, um, and we had this really, really strict lockdown that we, that we just, they've just started coming out of it in the last maybe three weeks, but our lockdown was so tight that you weren't allowed visitors into your home, period. You, you, if you, if they, and they had, um, not police, but they had like, uh, um, officers or, or whatever, I can't remember what they're called, but anyway, they they would check on different things and and if and if you were found in a home and you couldn't prove you live there like you weren't from that house you'd get a fine and they weren't cheap fines either they were like you know 1250 bucks or something like wow. and and there was a lot of them given out so we were we were really really locked down and that lasted right from you know like mid November right through till about 3 weeks ago and, and, and that included outside. You couldn't be outside either. If you were, say, in the backyard, you know, with a, with a fire or something, they would come up and if, uh, bylaw officers, that's what they were. And if, and if you, they'd ask for your ID and if you were from different addresses, you would get fined. So that's what we were dealing with um, for, for most of the winter. And, and, and the fact that it was, it was so cold here because, you know, winter's pretty cold. It makes it even worse. Like it's harder to even get out than, you know, than it was in the summer. So yeah, for us, it was, it was, it was a pretty, um, it was a very trying winter. I'll, you know, I'll say. Yeah. I, and I'll be honest, it's, it's been stressful for me too. I think, um, I think the, the three months we, I mean, we just kind of isolated ourselves for three months straight. Cause we just, you know, you know, that's, Nobody knows what this is about. You know, nobody knows what COVID really did 
you know, how serious do we need to take it? And so uh, we just self-isolated for three months. And I think, you know, once I kind of realized how serious that was, I, I, I just got hit with like a, with a depression that lasted a month, um, maybe even a little more. And at that time I was doing an online masterclass. So we would, um, you know, we would have kind of like a topic and we would meet on the topic um, twice a month for two hours over Zoom. And, you know, everybody is tired of being on their computers and on their phones, but this was recreational. This was something I invested in. It really gave me a point of sanity through this whole lockdown. And not only that, I turned 39 to 40 in May and I was really bummed. I was like, you know, we, we still don't know enough about COVID. Everything is closed. And so I posted on Facebook. I was like, Hey guys, we don't know when this is going to end, but I'm going to be 40 for the next two years. And at some point we're going to go out and party. And I had a whole bunch of friends laugh on, on Facebook. They, they, they did the laugh icon. And so you know, you try and find humor when you're when you're in such an unusual situation. And, you know, I think a lot of people are, are having mental health uh, problems. I mean, we're humans biologically are hyper social creatures because it's necessary for our society, for our survival. We're just biologically driven to be mm-hmm. in sales. And so my position is very external. And I literally haven't seen people like in a year from my industry, all of it's been online. And actually we had a, a major healthcare event in my industry that was coming up and, um, you know, it kind of like brings the whole band together, so to speak. And we were waiting to see if and when it would be canceled. And so it was canceled. Um, and, you know, I think when you see the healthcare industry, everybody looks to us as the leader. So what are we going to do next? You know, um, who's going to be, um, who's going to step, step out, so to speak, and, and take that risk, right? Or who's going to be the most uh, conservative? Um, at that time, you know, I was working at another company. I'm at a new company now. And um, that, that other company I was with had, um, I would say, kind of like a footprint into different sectors and some of these employees attended a conference where they actually tracked the transmission of COVID to. And at that point, I think a lot of companies will, were still determining, do we go on lockdown, right? And I'm in healthcare, right? So I'm obviously more alarmed than other people. And then I think somebody within the company got it. And so I uh, actually sent an email. It's like, hey... We, we went to this conference. Are we, are we going to shut down? Cause I was concerned, right? I was concerned, um, not only for myself, but my family and for others within the company. But, you know, if you're in healthcare, you, you also have to lead by example. Right. And so, you know, I sent that email to see, right. you know, what their strategy would be. And then eventually they, they determined that they would close down. And I think a lot of companies were kind of in a wait and see, mode. And so, um, you know, even into March a little bit, there are still a lot of in-person events that were still uh, planned. And, 
you know, for the next three months, literally, you just saw this cascade of healthcare events, uh, music, music events, um, theater plays, and anything, Broadway, uh, musicals, you're seeing all these events in this industries, you know, kind of like out entertainment and then networking getting canceled. And it was really disappointing to see that because of course, everybody's losing money, but then, you know, nobody's getting together. Um, And so you kind of lose out on that aspect, but then it's also about being safe and, you know, um, leading by example. Uh, so you, there's two sides of the coin, right? The the negative impact of, you know, everybody, you know, you're losing revenue in these certain areas. Um, people don't get to see each other, meet, network, or enjoy some sort of entertainment. But then it's also about being safe and social distancing and, and slowing the spread, so to speak. So that was very interesting to witness that, especially in March, you know, I kind of knew it was going to come. I knew, I knew that we were going to shut down um, and I knew that it was going to happen. And it was just interesting to kind of see that, that struggle, right. That people and, and institutions and companies were having was, okay, do we, do we close down now or do we wait for the States to mandate or, you know, what, what's going on here. And I think some of the companies kind of self volunteered to close down early. Um, and then uh, over time, uh, some of the companies wanted to wait to see what was coming from the states. And so it was kind of happening all at once, right? Uh, because I'm in Maryland and Virginia and D.C. area, you know, the Maryland, D.C. and Virginia kind of set their own mandates on when they were going to close. But it all happened around at the same time. And then, you know, some people voluntarily closed up before the states did. So that was, that was kind of interesting to see it. Cause it was an interesting to see the pa- the, the power play kind of happen, the, the struggle people were having, uh, even the groups, you know, as in companies and entertainment venues and all that kind of struggling with that, you know, how do, how do we go about this? Because it was the first time it was happening. Um, and then, and, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of watching that balance of do we, when do we reschedule? When are we going to open back up? And so I think we're now starting to see, you know, people are becoming more relaxed. Um, I'm sure you just saw it in the news, but Mississippi and Texas are literally opening up next week, right? <laughs> yeah, saw that today. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's going to be a litmus test too. I mean, uh, Florida's been pretty much open the whole time, um, and and there there really hasn't. If you look at the numbers, there hasn't been a huge dramatic spike. But again, they've been kind of open the whole time, right? Um, so it, it's hard to say. We're we're just going to have to watch Texas and Mississippi to see what happens. And I think a lot of other states. Um, here in the United States are going to watch what happens with Texas and Mississippi and see if those numbers have a dramatic spike mm-hmm. or not. And then we'll, we'll kind of know in an amount of time, maybe in a month or two. And um, then maybe more will open up or maybe not, but it's, it's just a matter of time. Well, I, I mean, I think with the vaccines, that's, you know, to me is, is the signal that, you know, this is going to come to an end. Um, 
you know, I, I, I mean, for us, we've been told in, in Canada that, you know, by end of September, every Canadian that wants the vaccine will, will have it. So, um, you know, I, I'm thinking by, you know, late fall before Christmas, I think we'll, you know, I think we'll be back to some sort of normal where we can at least, you know, celebrate Christmas like we used to, you know, with family, that sort of thing. And, and to me, that makes it, it makes it so much easier than it has been knowing now that there's an end or at least what I believe there, there's an end to this coming. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are looking to vaccines being like that um, and providing kind of like that safety measure, right? Um, you know, vaccines have been around for a long time. A lot of people trust them and there's been positive results. Um, but, you know, I'm very careful. Um, you know, I think vaccines pr- pr- um, provide a layer of protection, but it's not 100% proof, right? And then there's going to be people that don't vaccinate. So um, there's still the possibility to get it, right? And so I think uh, COVID isn't going to... Well, yeah. So I think COVID isn't going to go away, but it's not going to be the same as it was in March 2020. No, I, I, I'm, and I think, I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes about the vaccines is the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it or giving it. It just it just stops you from getting sick if you get it. So even if you are vaccinated, you can still get it and transmit it to other people. So yeah, I, I think people, you know, are under the false sort of thing that, oh, I get the vaccine and I'm home free. I can just go out and do anything. Well, that's not the case until they reach, you know, herd immunity, then is, is you know, then people can relax more. But uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think this is going to be a lot like the way the flu is. There's going to be a strain every year. We're going to take a vaccine every year, just like we do for the flu. That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of of the mind of wait and see, you know, when it, when, uh, when, when COVID first hit, that was the approach I I took and I'm going to continue to wait and see what happens because once we can see what happens, you know, see what happens with the open States versus more conservative States that have more stricter measures, um, then we're going to see what will happen over a course of time. And I think as, as we continue to collect the data, we learn more about this and, and how to control pandemics. Um, we'll just get better at it. And, you know, maybe the next time something happens, we'll have a very strict lockdown and then we'll open back up two weeks later. And then, you know, there might be more of like a cluster type of control or track and trace, and so things will be much more localized. So the economic impacts won't be as dramatic. But uh, yeah, we're certainly in very interesting, unprecedented times. You know, I I kept trying to look back further to 1918 with a Spanish flu. Um, they didn't go in a worldwide lockdown. Um, and they, uh, honestly, I don't know what fully happened, but my dad was born in 1917. And so was his, you know, his brother and also his sister were born in that time. And, and, you know, we normally think of babies as being very vulnerable, uh, very sensitive to illness. And so they need, um, 
certain protections, right? So he was born in 1917 in uh, a very small town in northern Midwest, right? And so I was trying to envision what's happening in this small town. You don't have electricity um, in certain houses. Um, You don't have the internet. You don't have TV at all. What would happen? How fast would the news of transmission get there? I mean, people's primary way to get news was either uh, through the mail or through the newspaper or people from out of town coming to deliver pieces of information. So, you know, I was trying to envision what was his parents thinking and how would they um, institute their own safety measures? And did, you know, certain municipalities try to institute certain measures. Um, you know, at least from what I've seen in the pictures from that era, you know, people wore masks and they even wore masks in pictures, you know. Um, I did see a picture of people in a stadium attending a game wearing masks. So I presume they probably didn't social distance as much as we did. Um, but there were probably people that really mm-hmm. were very concerned about um, the Spanish flu. So they hunkered in their homes And then there was another picture I saw from that era where they had like a, it looked like it was a temporary kind of like medical facility for overflow. And they had all these patients um, outside um, in beds near tents. And then these, all these nurses were lined up with masks on. So obviously they thought there was something good about ventilation being out in the open air and the sunlight. So you know, a lot. And I think that that thought still holds true today. You you know, if you're going outside, getting sun, being active, getting fresh air, you're obviously going to be healthier. Um, But I was just trying to envision what was going through his mind, you know, growing up in a small town, possibly not even having a telephone at that point in time. Um, You know, if he was a little further out of town, you know, oftentimes you had to go outside to pump your water you, um, if you had to go outside and pump your water, you obviously probably had an outhouse. This was definitely the case for farms for a very long time. Um, and I only know this because, you know, I hear the stories of what my dad would tell me from that era, but, you know, to have him, you know, being born in that time and then growing up, I just really tried to envision, for a while, what it was like to experience a pandemic then with such limited um, technologies, with such um, limited guidance, and with even such limited um, medical capability, right? So what was that experience like? And that kind of helped ground me, right, was to kind of explore that mentally. It helped helped me to kind of get out of the the media hype. It helped me to kind of distance myself from what was going on now. Um, because I was trying to learn about a past moment to see if we had learned something from the past that we could implement now. Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure exactly. Uh, like, I, I mean, I, 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 it's, I seem to think that that COVID was a lot more, contagious than than the Spanish flu. Um, I think it spread way faster only because transportation is a lot different now than it was then. So I think it spread a lot quicker because of that. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, you know, from what I understand is it almost went from town to town, city to city. And that's how it sort of, you know, it would hit one city and then explode in that city. Then it would hit another city and explode in that city. So it wasn't sort of like the way it is now, but I I don't know. I'm not sure either. Yeah. I, I think for me, it was just a matter of mental exploration and just trying to relate to this situation in a new way, right? You know, everybody's trying to make sense of something they they don't know. So they do research or they try and talk with friends. They try to triangulate the information that they have so that they can make sense of it. And so, you know, I looked back to my, my dad's experience, um, even though he was an infant at a time, I tried to look at it from that perspective of, you know, not saying that that situation was very similar to this, but I was, you know, we acknowledge that it was a major pandemic. It rocked the world back then. And oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So it just kind of helped me relate to this experience differently, uh, was just taking that walk through history. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, it's really the only, it's the only thing that we have to draw on that, that is, is the closest thing to this. There's really nothing else. So yeah, there's, you know, and there are parallels for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the only problem to me is I, I, you know, even whatever lessons they learned, I think they just forgot. And, and, and I kind of, I, I, I'm afraid and, and I wouldn't be surprised if, 30 years from now, they just forget about this one. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, okay, well, and they just don't think of it anymore. And they, they don't, uh, they don't prepare or, or they're not proactive, you know, thinking that it might happen and they just get too complacent. And I think that's part of the reason why we're where we are now is I think, and it's not just the States, it's everywhere. I think the whole world was just too complacent about this sort of thing. Well, I, I agree and disagree in some ways, um, you know, cause certain things that we're doing now and certain measures we're taking and instituting now are just going to become part of our cultural norm. So if you look at nine 11, um, afterwards, there's new security protocols at, at air, uh, airports, right? You have to go through a security, you have to take your shoes off. You have to take your belt off. You have to have your suitcase scanned, uh, you have to walk through a scanner yourself. Um, you know, before 9-11, all of those security protocols never existed. But now it's just part of the cultural norm right. worldwide. So I think we're going to adopt certain things that are going to become cultural norms. So, you know, granted, we're going to forget a lot of stuff. You're absolutely right. In 30 years, there's going to be a lot of things we forget. But certain things that become cultural norms um, – are going to become embedded in our and the fabric of our society and even worldwide. Um, you know, I think we're going to have stricter regulations in nursing homes. Um, you know, maybe they do more of like setting appointments. It just depends on how that industry becomes more regulated, right? Um, but now they have this experience so that in the future, you know, like so when flu season hits next year. Or, you know, let's say it's a different version of COVID. They have things that they can do right away and they're going to be able to respond much quicker. Um, we're, we're looking at technological solutions. Um, 
New York uh, is now looking at doing kind of like a vaccine passport uh, kind of solution in the city. You know, that if you want to go to a venue, you need to have a vaccine and you need to show proof of it. So they're looking at technological solutions for the future. Um, I know in Australia. Yeah, Canada, mm-hmm. Canada's. And, you know, we've already been told or, or that that we are going to have some form of vaccine ID will be will be given. They, they, they're not sure how it's going to work yet, but there will be some sort of of ID given when when you're vaccinated, like you will eventually get this ID that you'll have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then even Australia, uh, their transportation system in Victoria has set up um censoring technologies within the stations so you can tell how crowded the floor is so to speak so the officials there can limit how many are waiting for the train so if we're in the middle of a flu epidemic say five years from now and they don't want to you know they want to institute uh stricter capacities on the on the on the train station, so to speak, they can limit capacity uh, for certain hours, you know, especially during peak hours. And then maybe that's when they run more trains. So I think there's going to be a lot of things that happen that will just end up becoming institutional norms for us that are kind of like the after effects of our response to this pandemic. So it's going to, Oh, so it's, I, I, mm -hmm. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be the same world as it was before this. And I think it's going to be very similar to what, what happened with 9-11. I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to have to get scanned in major airports before you get on a plane. I think you're, you know, I think, I think certain countries will require you to show proof of vaccination or they're not going to let you in. I, I think there's going to be a lot of those sorts of things. The only, the only, uh, the reason I said is I, I, I just fear that year, and I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years, whatever. I, I, I just fear that down the road, you know, budgets are going to be tight, you know, and, and, you know, it's going to come to a point where, oh, well, that was so long ago, you know, let's cut this budget because that hasn't happened for 50 years. And, and, and those sorts of things are going to slowly go away. I, I don't know. I hope they don't, but I'm just, I, I just think it's a possibility. Yeah. I mean, that's true is, is we do have to look at the, the public budgets and where do they allocate the funds for public health. You're absolutely right. And in all honesty, I think, um, I think uh, certain countries were just better prepared. You know, Italy just got hit really hard and, and fast and I think the way it was covered in the media, I think what we saw, I think how they responded really set the tone for everybody else. I mean, we we had we definitely had plenty of time to to prepare, um, and I, I don't think we did as much as we could have uh, to prepare. And I think what we saw in Italy definitely sent shockwaves around the world and, and certainly set the tone, so to speak. Um, even SARS and MERS was uh, very concerning. I, you know, even then when when they hit those respective areas, I was very concerned. But then, you know, I don't think we had travel as much as we do now. I think um, I think China was able to. Um, they seem to really kind of just 
put a stop to SARS. And I think that experience impacted how they responded to COVID. I mean, when you when you look at the, the Asian countries, they don't argue about wearing masks. They just do it. I mean, it's a cultural norm. Um, you know, I was watching a documentary and in Japan, they were burying somebody that they knew. And at that time they wore masks to bury the, the, the individual. I don't know if it was special for just that situation or if it's a cultural norm, but um, I think it's much more culturally acceptable in certain Asian countries to wear a mask. I mean, you're dealing with a much higher, denser population. So they're going to take probably way more aggressive measures to stop outbreaks than what we did here. I mean, in Canada and the United States, we're kind of all spread out. So I think the way we reacted was based upon, you know, we haven't had an experience like SARS, so we didn't really have anything to measure it to. I think, you know, Asia had that experience before us. And so, um, frankly, they had their protocols and they responded. Um, and it's more culturally normal within their within their area to, to wear a mask. I mean, here we're arguing about it. I don't know how it is in Canada. Were people arguing about wearing masks in, in Canada? Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're no different than you are. We're just at a much smaller scale because, you know, our population is a lot smaller. But, yeah, we have, you know, people that don't believe it's real. We have, you know, people that protest the lockdowns. We have churches that protest because, you know, they've been shut down or, or whatever. Um yeah, we got, you know, there, I, I've, I've seen a store in, in you know, that where there was a sign on the store saying no masks allowed. So that's pretty weird, you know. So, yeah, we you're, it's definitely not just just America. You know, I've talked to people in, in you know, parts of Europe and everything. It, it, it seems to be more of a Western thing than the Eastern because. I've talked to people in, in India. I talked to, uh, you know, a girl that was in, in, um, another Eastern place. And basically those countries and, and those, um, you know, they, whatever the science and the, and the doctors said, they just blindly, yes, we'll do what you say. There was no pushback, no, you know, it was just, whatever they, they just trusted the doctors and the medical, you know, and that was a huge difference than I, you know, anything I've seen in the West. There was no such thing as a protest or not agreeing with it. It just never happened. And I think that made a huge difference there as compared to here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely been a lot of political volleyballs uh, around that issue. Um, I think, you know, of course, the United States facing an election and the polarization of politics also uh, took up a lot of attention. So I don't think masks was the entire um, focus for a lot of our people here. Um, but uh, I think the tense, the tenseness of the pandemic and then in the election and then all these protests certainly added fuel to the fire. And not only that, we're still waiting on a stimulus package. I mean, a lot of people need that money. Um, and then you have folks that are 
are trying to get unemployment, they, there's folks that still have been waiting for months to get unemployment. And then, you know, not only that, you're dealing with old IT clunky systems, and then there's incredible opportunities for fraud. And sometimes, you know, the fraudulent activity gets in line before the people that need it. So you have all of this stuff percolating. It certainly adds a lot to the fire. Um, so, I mean, we were, I think we're all getting fatigued from being locked down. And I think we're all getting fatigued from the coverage in the media. Um, so I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, I'm not trying to hold my breath on, um, on a lot of things. Again, it, again, for me, like the perspective I had at the beginning it's let's collect the data. Let's see what happens. Um, let's be cautious, um, and then and, and then just try to balance that with with common sense. And it it it's hard. It, it it really is hard because you know we 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 try and triangulate the information we receive with people we know, but sometimes the people we talk to just don't know any better. And so, um, you know, I I'll be honest. I like what you've done here and and getting people to talk about their experience and to come on your podcast. I think um, the forum that you're providing for people is, is a good stress relief, but it's also you're sharing stories from around the world. So um, again, it's kind of, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I just think it's a matter of trying to hear from different sources of information and collect the data. And then once you have enough data come to in a conclusion and then see what you can do with your action. And then again, it's, it's just collecting the data and then moving forward cautiously. And that's, that's the approach I've taken um, since the beginning of this pandemic. Okay. I have two questions. Um, one. So we talked a little bit about the vaccines. Um, if you were, if you could get it today, would you get it? And if and and if not, when do you think you'd feel safe to get it? And what would make you feel safe? Well, you know, it's gone through uh, FDA for emergency use uh, for emergency use approval or EUA, and so I think what we, I think what I would say here is. I want to see the populations that need it the most get it first. And then I'm going to get in line at my appropriate time and uh, be a good citizen and, and get it when it's my time. And until then, and even afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm still going to do as much as I can, as reasonably as I can to protect myself and my family and, and other individuals. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, for me, it's the, it's, it's, it's the same. I mean, I, I think I'm like, I'm 60, but I, you know, I have no underlying health conditions or anything. So I think I'm probably in the bottom 20% that will get it here in Canada. And I'm okay with that. Cause I think there's a lot of more, um, I don't know if deserving is the right word, but you know, there's healthcare professionals, you know, elderly care, you know, um, people living in elderly care places. There's, you know, first responders, there's, there's a long list of people that should get it before me. So I don't have a problem with that. So I, I, I think I'm probably going to be in that like bottom 20% at, 
and I'm perfectly okay with it. When my time comes, you know, what, however they decide, you know, let us know, cause I'm not even sure how that's going to work, but I'll go and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take my, you know, um, whenever it's ready. And, and the same thing, like I know just because I get it, I know that doesn't mean, you know, I still don't have to social distance and I still don't have to wear my mask if I'm out, you know, in, in public and in a store or whatever. So, and I'm prepared to do all those things that we still need to do. Um, but I do think that it, 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 to me, it's like, you know, I see the goal line. I, I can see an end to it because of this. And, and I guess that really means, you know, within Canada first, and then the States, you guys would probably be pretty close to us on a timeline. Um, you know, I don't know when Europe is going to, you know what I mean? So this doesn't mean it's worldwide. I mean, I think it's going to take years before, you know, some countries are, are even going to be able to, to have the vaccine or, or like India, for example, is a huge problem because they have so many people. Mm-hmm. Like the logistics of, of getting that, you know, that country vaccinated is just mind boggling. So, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, at least within, you know, Canada, you know, my family, my kids, you know, you know, I'm thinking, I, you know, by next you know, fall, late, you know, whatever. So, so for me, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think the so, one thing I'll add is I'm not on the front lines of healthcare. I'm like way in the back part of the picture. So I'm not considered like a high priority, but yeah, it's, it's just a matter of getting in line and, and waiting your turn and, and then you, then you go get it. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, you know, and, and like I said, I, th- I think it's, 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 it's something to look forward to something to sort of a, a ray of hope for us. I think, it, you know, we see it as a bit of an, it's, it's the start of, of getting this done. So, uh, you know, to, to me, it's a very positive thing and I, I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. Um, so one last question, where do you see yourself in a year, like a year from now? That is a great question. I hope in a year from now, um, I will be planning my 40th birthday. Even though I'll be technically 42. Yeah, I mean, hey, I, 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 you know, I think a lot of us have had to put things off, like celebrations and, and things like that. So, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed uh, coming on here and sharing my story. And, and thank you for giving me the platform too. No, it was great talking to you. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, thanks for sharing, Laura, and stay safe. Thank you.